Well, good morning, family. It's good to see you guys. Are you ready for the good news? Me too. Well, grab your Bibles. Open them up to Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 24. Uh, Today we're going to jump right to the final teaching of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. And he ends with this parable. It's a parable of the wise and the foolish builder. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, good shepherd Jesus, we love you. And you said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Oh, Jesus, we need your word. Thank you for giving us this heavenly uh, bread that we need to live and flourish eternally. Help us receive it, take it in, and be nourished. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me uh, one last time to feed your lambs. Lord, help them eat till they're full and satisfied. In Jesus' sacred name I pray. Amen. Amen. In 1916, American poet Robert Frost had his poem, The Road Not Taken, published in The Atlantic. Over the years, this poem has become, for some reason, associated with 18-year-olds graduating from high school. Uh, I think it's probably because they're wondering, like, what path are they going to take on on their journey? Because it's a a poem about choosing, choosing a path you're going to live. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the, that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, And that has made all the difference. 
Throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us about two ways of being in the world, right? You can journey on the way of flourishing and joy, or you can travel the well-trodden path of destruction, foolishness, and sadness. And the road that you choose will make all the difference. And if you remember, at the very beginning of his uh, master sermon, Jesus frames everything that he's going to teach with this sentence. These words, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. Meaning that he is not calling us to a higher level of obedience. Rather, he's calling us to a different, a deeper kind of being in the world. He's saying that true righteousness is learning to live like a whole person instead of living like a split person whose heart wants one thing, but they're only externally doing righteous things. And today we're going to look at this final teaching from Jesus' master sermon. Jesus tells us that when you boil down everything that He's taught on this mountaintop, there's only two ways of living after you hear His words. After you encounter Jesus, you can hear all of His words and do them. Or you can hear all of His words and not do them. And that's your only choices. See, for each one of us, myself included, each one of us stands at a divergence in the road of life. And Jesus says that we cannot travel both ways. Right? One traveler, B.I. Right? We must choose a way. What way will you live in the world? Yes, this upside down world. What way will you decide to live? And Jesus sums up everything that He has taught by answering this all-important question that's kind of loomed over everything He said. He's answering, how do you and I make a life that is deeply satisfying? How do we make a life that's deeply satisfying? Well, today we're going to look at the materials that we need to use the method we employ, and the motivation we need to make a life that's deeply satisfying. So first, making a life, that, uh, making a life comes by using Christ's teachings and interpretations. Okay, Making a life comes by using Christ's teachings and interpretations. Meet me in the text, verse 24, please. He says, Everyone. So it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian, and it doesn't matter if you call yourself a non-Christian. This is open. It's on a mountain, right? Whether you're part of the crowd or whether you're part of a, you're a disciple. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, unlike the scribes and unlike the Pharisees and the experts in the law that devoted themselves to studying God's Word, Jesus here and in other places, He does not quote another rabbi. He does not quote another authority when He gives His interpretation of the Torah. This is weird. This is unique. Stunningly, Jesus claims that authority for himself. If you hear the words of mine, Jesus claims that his words, and also he claims, you know, 
by extension, his actions, the things that he has done with his life, that his words and actions are the greatest and the, get this, final revelation of what eternal life looks like. Of what the flourishing life looks like for all people. It says everyone. I've said this before, I keep saying it, I'll say it again, Jesus is not overthrowing God's Word. Jesus has been very gone to great pains to tell us He is not canceling the Old Testament. He's not canceling uh, the Scriptures saying that, well, you know, none of that, all that, none of that matters now that I'm on the scene. Jesus rather is saying, yeah, read it. Use it. Apply all of God's Word through my interpretation of it. Through my interpretation. I'm the lens that you must beam all Scripture through in order for you to see it and for you to understand it clearly. It only makes sense through me. In fact, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us right off the bat. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1-3. through three. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance. That's, that's all like a beautiful word. Remember we've talked about that? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature in order to make a life that is deeply and sustainably satisfying, family, we must make with the right materials. we got to use the right materials, materials that have authority, materials that actually have weight and substance to them, materials that can weather the rain and the floods and the smashing winds of life. I just was so poetic when I woke up today and said, this is what I'm going to talk about today. With the storms we've had the last three days, like, God, what are you saying? We're listening. See, Jesus says that the best materials, the best materials is not at Lowe's. The best materials you can use to make a life is with His teachings and with His interpretation. And so please ask yourself this question. Are the teachings of Jesus really the final interpreter of reality for you? Or is something else? Is there another person that ultimately interprets reality and the way things are and the way things ought to be for you? Is Jesus the founder of your faith? Or is someone else your founder? See, if he is, then Jesus says your life will stand no matter what. If he is not, then Jesus promises that the materials that you're using to make your life will crash and it will be destroyed no matter how well it seems to be working right now for you. Are you taking these words in? That's the materials. Let's talk about the method. The method of making. Making a life. It comes the same way we make poetry. Does that surprise you? Making a life that's satisfying, it comes the same way that you'd make poetry. 
Hang on, I'm going to show you. It's verse 24 and 25. Okay, check this out, guys. This blew my mind while I was studying this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, does them, we'll come back to that, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods rose and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because, because it had been founded. It had been founded on the rock. I see the wise and the foolish, if you notice, they are not distinguished by whether they have heard Jesus's teachings and or even whether they mentally agree with everything that Jesus teaches. That's not what he says distinguishes them from being a wise person or a foolish person. The wise and the foolish are distinguished by whether they have responded to Jesus. Jesus moves. Are you moving closer to him when he speaks or are you standing still or walking away? That's faith. So I highlighted a phrase in verse 24 and a, ver- a phrase in verse 25 that will help us understand the kind of response or the kind of method uh, a building that Jesus is actually talking about because I think this is important. The, the phrase there in, in 24 that says, does them, right? Are you with me? Does them that Matthew uses here in the Greek is poieo. Poieo. Hear it. And the noun form of that verb is poema. Now, what do those words sound like? What do they sound like? Poem and poetry, don't they? And in fact, that's the etymology. That's where we get that in the English. That's not a small detail. Poeo can be translated either to do, which is how the ESV translates it here, or it can be translated to make, to create, to compose. That gives a very different nuance of meaning, does it not? Yeah. Doing has a connotation that's more industrial. It's more utilitarian, isn't it? We're just going to get her done. We're getting it done. That's right. Get it done. But making, listen to the word, and, and think about how you use that. Making carries a, a little different nuance of meaning. It carries this more of a heartfelt and aesthetic meaning, does it not? You see what we're making? Hey, we make beautiful music together, wouldn't we? You know? The word, the word poeo is used over 3,200 times in the, New Test, uh, in the Old Testament alone. The, the Septuagint, right? The Greek uh, you know, Old Testament. And it's used over 80 times in the New. Do you know where the first usage of poeo is in the Old Testament? Genesis 1, verse 1. Right off the beginning, the first thing God wants you and I to know when you pick up his book about him and, and his nature and his name is poieo. How he makes. How he makes, not just that he makes. And that just blow your categories right now? I think I blew some circuits. Right? 
When God creates the world, not with his hands, but with what? His words. That's the first use of poieo. Listen, God, who is love, poieos the heavens and the earth and said it was good. God poieo the light and poieo the dark. He poieo the fish and he poieo the trees and vegetation. He is poeoing. Why? Because he's a poet. And he's using words to make. He's using words to create. It's not till he gets to Adam that he gets his hands in the dirt. Because he already poeoed Adam, and now he's going to shape him with his hands. Isn't that, God, isn't that just awesome? Come on, that's awesome. Come on, man. Church, that's awesome. The imagery right off the bat of the Bible that, 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 that is used, that scripture gives us of God and what he does is not this functional slash utilitarian efficient God who's just doing life. No, God makes life. We do life. You want to do life? Let's do life together. No, God makes life. See, the picture he gives is not utilitarian. Rather, it is artistic. And some would even say that those first two chapters are poems. God is, God is in singing the world into existence because it's coming from the overflow of his being in nature and his heart of love. And so for, for these reasons, I think that make is actually a much better translation than the word do. And at least for a couple of reasons. One is that, let's be honest, it's a little nonsensical to say that we do words, Right? Like, literally show me, like, do we do words? We don't do words, right? We do behaviors, yes. We do actions, absolutely. We don't really do words. Uh, we can, however, make very real things with words. Stories. Poems. Songs. Much like, much how we reflect our Creator, much like our Creator in Genesis uh, did, the stories that we are constantly telling ourselves and telling others about us, the music that we compose, the songs that we sing, where do they come from, guys? They come from the overflow of our heart. They come from, that stuff comes out of the core of our being, right? The hidden part of us, right? And let's be honest, they do powerfully shape who we are and the life trajectory that we live. But another reason I think it's a better translation, it's, it's there in verse 25. Uh, it says that the wise man's life stood against uh, the hurricane. Why? Because of the foundation. Because of the foundation, the text says. The foundation is what made a difference. Not the building, not the house. But the foundation was the difference maker. Listen, New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington, he makes this really insightful observation. I just want to quote it in full for you. The, contra the contrast between the wisely and foolishly built houses is not based on their external appearance or even their construction. Rather, the difference between the house person that withstands a storm and the one that does not is at the hidden level. At the hidden level. It's at the foundation. The unseen but essential starting point. Close quote. 
Listen, Jesus is saying in these final verses what he's actually been saying already over and over and over. There's two ways to do or obey his words when you hear them. Like you hear every week. There's two ways to do his words. You can merely obey externally, but not because you really love his words. Or you can obey them because you love his words. And they're from the heart. It just comes out of your heart. In other words, you can hear and you can obey the words of Christ mechanically, industrially. I'll do it. I'm just going to do it because I just know it's good and it's dutiful. Or you can obey because your doing comes from the very foundation of your life on that subterranean level, which is your heart. Right? The core of your wanter. We live out of our hearts, Proverbs says. Right? Guard your heart above else, right? Because the wellspring of life flows from it. That's Proverbs 4, I think. And Jesus is being wise here. I mean, we know this from real life. There's two radically different ways of making things, is there not? Yeah. Uh, there is different. Is using an assembly line method for making something and using a paintbrush and hand-stretched canvas to make something. And you notice the difference. Now, to be clear, there is an ex some external element of the doing. Like, there is like, what we physically do this. Sure. There is a putting them into practice. But the point that Jesus, I think, is saying, and I'm trying to labor on, is that it's a kind of doing. It's a kind of doing that bubbles up from the unseen heart. It comes from deep down within us and it is beautiful and collaborative and it literally produces something new. Jesus is always talking about the new creation and the new birth. And this is the method. This is the how. In fact, just to really put an exclamation point on this, because this really it changes me. It's changing me right now. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians 2.10. What takes Jesus a whole parable to do, Jesus, uh, Paul says it in one sentence. You ready? Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we, we, that's people, okay? For we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them, walk in them. But what kind of doing? Here it is. Did you know this? The word translated there for workmanship in the ESV, in the English, is poema. Read that again with poema. By the way, that, that's why some translations translate that word. They don't translate workmanship because that sounds like industrial. Just ribbon and stuff together. That's useful. Some translate it masterpiece. And I think that's really closer to the meaning of the Greek word there. Paul literally says, literally says that we are Christ's poem. Guys, Christ poemed us into being. Hey, Christ poemed you into being 
And now we are called to make poems. We're to make poetry in this deformed and dark world with our very life. So the question that we need to ask right now is how do we do that? How do we do this? How do we make a life like the wise instead of merely do life like the fools? It's by taking the words of Christ and the works of Christ deep down inside of us. That's how we do that. Way down, way down to the hidden foundation. You see, the Jesus method is an inside-out way of making a life that lasts eternally. This is eternal life. How do we do this? Jesus is telling us we drink in, we eat up the teachings and the actions of Jesus day after day, week in and week out. That's how we do this. We, we let Jesus affect our longings, which was what the beginning of the Lord's Prayer was, right? We even asked Jesus to change what we want the most. Help me love what you love and hate what you hate. Change what I want. In fact, again, it's the Bible is replete with this. This is not a one-off thing. This is all throughout the Bible. Let me just show you. Let's go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Michael, I'm looking at you and Carly, all right? Revelation 3.20. Jesus gives us a great picture of this method right here, and it has, just for me, it just has more meaning in the King James Version. I think it just captures it because, I don't know, King Jimmy had it right, I guess. So here we go. Jesus, now it's Jesus talking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, who? Sounds like Jesus, right? Everyone that hears. He's saying the same thing, just different way. He says, if any man hear my voice and if they open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Isn't that great? I just love that phrasing. I will come in and sup with him. What is the method? Jesus says the method matters. So what is the method of making a satisfying life that is sustainable? It is by supping with Jesus and on Jesus' words. Isn't that great? Listen, you guys know this. There is, there is a world of difference between let's grab some lunch, right? And sharing a meal. Can the church say amen? Jesus doesn't grab lunch with you. Jesus wants to share a meal. He wants to sup with you. See, guys, I'm trying to tell you we're empowered to live the Jesus way by having meals with Jesus. I've been saying that since the beginning. It's by having meals with Jesus. And by the way, He's always the host of the meal. You can bring what you want, but you're going to eat what He's provided. Isn't that great? That's why we come to the table with nothing in our hands and you get what you eat. Because that's supposed to remind you of Jesus. That's what he's doing. Right? So how do we make a life that lasts eternally? We respond to the knocking. We don't just hear his words. We open the door. 
We welcome him in. We don't just welcome him in and say stand by the door. We welcome him in, it says, to the table, to the very center, to the kitchen, to the very centermost part of the house that we are building. Listen, 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 listen. The method matters. The method matters. You won't last if you don't do it like this. If you try to do it mechanically and industrially. So let's talk about our motivation. The materials, the method, let's talk about the motivation. What motivates us to do this? Well, making a life comes by faith in the death and the resurrection of Christ. It comes by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meet me in verse 26. It's right here in the text. And everyone who hears these words of one and does not do them. And, and remember, we already talked about that. He's not just talking about obeying. He's saying obeying like this, like a wholehearted person. They just act like a, hip, a Pharisee, right? If, if, if they hear these words of mine, but they don't do them, they'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Guys, what has the power to make us want to take the word of Jesus into the deepest part of our being and, and live by them in the real world where it looks like that's not going to work, Jesus? I'm going to be last if I do it your way, not first. I'm going to be the loser instead of the winner if I do it your way. So you've got to ask this question. What motivates us long term? What makes us want to take his words, not just like a window dressing and window tinting, but put it down and go, I'm building my life on this. And I'm going to make it the way I make poetry with my life. What makes us want to sup with him over and over again? Here it is. It's right here. The fact that Jesus did more than give great speeches. Guys, going forward, that's what's going to separate Jesus from every other person you hear give speeches. Jesus did more than give great talks. Jesus acted on every word that He spoke from this mountain. And He did it for your flourishing. And your flourishing and your flourishing. My flourishing. Not for His. Jesus is the wisest man who ever walked the planet. Can the church say amen? Amen. Listen. Here's what, listen. Jesus is the wise man in his parable. Did you catch that? He's not talking about a wise man. He is the wise man in the parable. He did do this. He's talking about himself. Jesus not only hears the Father's words, but He founded His entire life on them by trust, by faith. He obeyed not externally, but wholeheartedly. The Father never had to force Jesus to do a thing in His life. He just what? <laughs> My food is to do the will of the Father. I wake up thinking about how can I do that, Father? He did this. And yet Jesus received the reward of the foolish man. What? You see, this description, these last few words at the very end here, this description is not merely about the storms of life that will happen to you and me in this world. 
Now, that is a completely legitimate application of that, by the way. Okay? But when it says, the text says that the house fell and great was the fall of it. That word there in the Greek means downfall or ruins. It's not like the guy got out of the house alive. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's rubble and washed away like a flood. This person's life, get this, was totally extinguished. Okay? In other words, this refers to the coming judgment of God on the last day. So you need to let that land on you and don't brush that off. Okay. Listen, listen, family. That is the reward that Christ received for living like a wise man. His life was brutally extinguished on the cross. He was cut down in his prime. His dignity was taken. His friends were taken. His mother was taken from him. His reputation for being loved by God and the Son of God was taken when he hung on that cross. His only earthly possession to his name was stripped off his body and gambled at his very feet while he watched. That's, that's ruin, right? I mean, that's leaving no stone unturned. As, I mean, as far as I can see, Look, though Jesus lived wisely, wisest man that ever lived on the planet, though he obeyed the Father fully and joyfully from the very heart of his being in every way, and though Jesus deserved to experience flourishing life for all that he did, Jesus chose. He chose a way. He saw two paths diverge in the wilderness with Satan. And he said, I'm choosing this way for you. Jesus chose to experience the ruinous judgment of God. Why? So that you and I would not have to. Let it fall on me and it will never fall on you. I love you. I love you. I love you like this. Isn't he good? He's, he's all the way good. What love. What sacrifice. For fools like us. For a fool like me. Guys, that kind of love makes me want to respond to Him. But not that kind of make me. You understand what I'm saying? I can't, I can't not. I, I can't not. Do you understand? The method matters. The way matters. It makes me want to respond to him with my life. It makes me want to take all of his words and gobble them up and sup with him over and over and could I have seconds and could I have thirds? And he said, I'll just keep making 12 baskets over and over again. And yet, that's, that's not the end of the story as good as it is. Though Jesus was thrown into the mighty storm of God's judgment and though he did certainly suffer and he surely did die and was buried, Jesus founded his life upon the rock of God's unbreakable word. And so the Father raised him to life, never to die again. Jesus was raised to life in a body that was the same as the old one, and yet it was also something new. 
Do you see the beauty that came out of that? Something was made. Something was made. And he was bodily raised to give you and I proof that his words are true. You can take him to the bank. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the good news that everyone needs to hear. The resurrection of Jesus will happen to you if you take his words deep inside yourself and let them reorder what you love. It's not about what you do. It's about what you love. And this is what motivates us to imbibe all of the words of Jesus Christ. His grace. If you build your life on Him and His teachings, you too will live forever. And you will experience some of that wonderful eternal life right now, by the way. Ahead of schedule. (laughs) Listen, brothers and sisters, you are no fool for believing in Christ. You are no fool for losing your life to Him. You'll gain it. The cross and the empty tomb say that that is the very definition of wisdom. That's the wisest thing you can do. The Sermon on the Mount ends with this one final thought, and I want to end here too. Look at the text, verse 28 29. It's not long. The narrator says, Matthew says that when Jesus has finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed. The crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. He wasn't like anybody else. Family, for the last seven years, I have done my best to help you see how amazing and beautiful and compelling Jesus is. No matter what book of the Bible we find ourselves in, I've tried my best to point you to Jesus and his gospel of good news. And this is my hope for you going forward. I hope you will choose to be amazed by everything Jesus says. And no one else. I hope you will choose to be amazed by everything Jesus says. And no one else. Come back. Come back again and again and again to the words of Jesus and be absolutely fascinated by the things that come out of his mouth. Family, be compelled to study every word that he says and study every move that he made so that you too will say, who is this man? And as you become more and more fascinated and amazed by Jesus, I urge you to follow him with your whole life in your car and your house and your kids and everything else. Follow him with your whole life. I bear witness, it is a wonderful life. St. Augustine once said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are very wise and very beautiful, but I never read in either of them, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
I love you. Jesus loves you. Love one another. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I feel fed. Thank you for your bread. Thank you for being the good shepherd of our life. I pray, oh God, that your words would go down. They get past the emotions and the feelings and the hurts and the hang-ups and all that stuff and all the worries and anxieties and cares of the world. And your word would just burrow down like a seed, down in our heart. Let it penetrate. Let it start to germinate. And let it regenerate us. Give us new life. Help us be fascinated by you, for you are amazing and you are completely fascinating. And ask it in the sacred name of Jesus. Amen.